Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am Scott Gardner. And my name is Michael Bailey. How's it going, Michael? <laughs> it's going great, Scott. <laughs> Let's pretend like we haven't been talking yeah, for almost two we've hours. We've been talking for two hours. <laughs> so uh, this is the exciting first uh, first episode for us of this new show that we're starting up. Just out of our love for the Justice Society of America, you know, we've done a lot of talking off air and, and discovered that we both have have fond feelings, fond childhood memories, what what have you, for these characters, and uh, just an, a general overall fondness for the Justice Society and all its different incarnations and spinoffs and things like that. So, uh, actually, let's talk about that briefly before we get into the uh, the review proper. Um, I'm curious, how did you uh, go about discovering the uh, the Justice Society, and, and what keeps you interested? I got into comics in 87, so I missed the boat on Earth 2 completely, uh, as far as reading DC on a regular basis. And what I knew of the JSA was only from the Who's Who issues uh, that I managed to track down. But in December of 94, somewhere around the... Oh, like almost 15 years ago. Good God. Uh, I was in this comic shop called Beachhead Comics, uh, which was the first comic shop I had ever gone to. And they had a 30-cent bin. Not a quarter bin, not a 50-cent bin, a 30-cent bin. It's kind of confusing, but... uh, (laughs) I never bought anything from it, because I was really snobby at that time about the condition of the comics that I wanted to buy as back issues. It's like, if it wasn't like almost near mint i didn't want it but oh you're one of those people i used to be one of those people <laughs> <laughs> thank you for making me feel bad about myself <laughs> in the first episode um but I, I started looking through it and they had about 20 issues kind of scattered of all-star squadron and i remember reading about all-star squadron and who's who and i'm like you know that that always sounded kind of cool, and it's like six bucks for 20 issues. Hell, I'll grab that. And I took them home, I read them, and even though they were com- they were like huge gaps, like sometimes 10, 15 issues between them, I still really kind of dug it. And I read it again in about a year later when I was living in this crappy attic apartment. And at the same time, I had gotten into Mark Wade's run of The Flash, where Jay Garrick was... Almost, uh, I would call him a supporting hero, not a supporting character. He was around. I really liked how Wade wrote the character. And I tracked down that 10-issue run of Justice Society of America that Lynn Straczewski and Mike Parabek uh, did in 1992-93. Yeah. And from there, I just kind of, you know, between All-Star Squadron and that JSA... Um, series, and I found that mini-series at a flea market that had been done a year before that was set in, like, the 50s. 
uh, between all of that, I really started getting into the Justice Society as a concept, uh, for which I wholly blame Roy Thomas, uh, because uh, when I moved down to Georgia later in 1995, I went to a comic shop that had like the first ten issues of Infinity Incorporated really cheap. So from there, it started this like quest on my part to get all of the All-Star Squadron issues, Infinity Incorporated, Young All-Stars. Uh, a couple years after that, I found really cheap the entire run of the series we're going to be talking about first on the show, All-Star Comics, uh, the revival from the 70s. And by 2001, I had all of them. I read them all together. It was uh, just a glorious reading experience. And around that time, I also found James Rob- James Robinson's Starman comics. Because if there is a pattern in my comic book collecting history, that with the exception of Superman, I am always late to the party. <laughs> and even with Superman, I was late to the party. Because I started collecting Superman in 87, a year after Man of Steel. Right. So, so <laughs> Which I had the chance to buy the first issue of, but I wanted that Transformers number 21 more. <laughs> Um, uh, at least know. that probably hasn't been retconned out of existence, though. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, it's like all of the Golden Age-related characters. Uh, I've tracked down Damage, The Ray, uh, Stars and Stripe, Black Condor, Our Man. I even have, uh, I don't have all of the Freedom Fighters, but I have like the first ten issues of that. And do you have uh, Steel, the Indestructible Man? Ooh, you know, I don't remember. Let me look that up real quick, because I can't remember. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember. No, yeah. you know what? I don't have any issues of steel. But no, I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Found those pretty cheap, too. Uh, the, the the lesson here is is buy comics in the 1990s, uh, <laughs> because 10 years later, they're going to be way too expensive. I bought All-Star number 58 for $2. Wow. And I saw it at the same comic shop I bought it at uh, yesterday for $18. So I I lucked out, and that's why I'm buying as much 80s stuff as I can right now, because I have a feeling in the next 10 years. Well, you know, the, the 80s turns 30 years old. You know, I mean, 1980 anyway turns 30 years old next year. So, yeah, you know, all stuff's turning out. It, it, well, it's, it's very much the same way, you know, as how for me... In the 90s, I was trying to grab as much 70s stuff as I could because I realized that it was going to, you know, it was going to hit that mark, you know, come, you know, the aughts, which pretty much happened. You know, all, the, all that 70s stuff is now 30 years old. And for some reason, 30 years seems to be about the, that number with comics where all of a sudden stuff goes from being, you know, it can be super common to suddenly it's somewhat scarce and really expensive, and I've seen that happen a lot in, say, like the past 10 years of comics where, where books that were a dime a dozen in 50-cent boxes all over the country are suddenly, you know, like I say, either scarce or very expensive. So, yeah, I think that's going to start to happen with some of that 80s stuff, too. You know, unless it was something that was just ridiculously overprinted, like, uh, you know, when Jason Todd became Robin or something like that, that they just pumped out. We're, we're going to start to see some of these books that we think of as fairly common today just suddenly, oh, whoa, whoa how did that become super popular or super rare or whatever? I'm of the opinion that's going to stop when we get to the 30-year 90s mark. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's just too much of that crap sitting. 
Yeah, they'll still be in boxes of uh, of uh, Adventures of Superman 500, you know, yeah. <laughs> that they can't give away, you know, that are... I, I went to a comic shop last year, literally in their 35-cent bin, they had a half a long box full of nothing but New Warriors number one. <laughs> well, see, I predict that, they, you know, someday in the future, say 50, 60, 100 years from now, whatever, they'll be knocking down houses that are insulated with copies of, of those, you know, those comics. <laughs> and much like today where they knock down houses and they find, you know, papers from like the turn of the century or say a newspaper from the turn of the century, they'll be finding all those 90s comics. But, that, but that's basically my story. I mean, I, I'm definitely not a I was there man uh, type of person. Uh, but that doesn't diminish my absolute love and adoration of the Justice Society and the characters that are part of that team. It's like, it's like you know, if, if, if you were a comic book anthropologist, my fandom starts at Superman and then skews off to Roy Thomas and the Justice Society. Well, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's pretty much the same way that, that I got into comics. You know, I, I, I would imagine that most comic collectors or comic readers like us probably have a similar story but you know i was the same way i got into comics because of two things which was superman and star wars and you know i got in with superman and you know because superman crosses over to so many different things and at the time when i got into him he was appearing in uh dc comics presents you know, so anytime somebody interesting would guest star with him in that, you know, like De- I remember Dead Man. That's how I discovered Dead Man. It was an issue by uh, Jose uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez um, with Dead Man, and I thought he was so awesome that you know I went out and sought out Dead Man. So I imagine I can't exactly remember how I discovered Earth Two and the Justice Society. I really wish that I could. But I suspect it probably has to do with something Superman was in. It was probably an issue of Justice League. You know, because right around the time I can remember first discovering the Justice League as a kid was right around the time where the Justice Society was starting to cross over with them on a regular basis. And then eventually it became like like an annual thing where like every summer they would have their big crossover with the Justice Society. So that could very well be where I discovered uh, you know, the, the, the Justice Society because one of the, the first images and one of my most beloved characters of the Earth 2 Justice Society of America is the Earth 2 Robin. I can't explain why. I couldn't tell you why, but I love that character and I particularly love him the way he looks on the cover of All-Star 58 with the he has a very Batman-esque cape. You know, it's the... Uh, what do they call that? It's, it's ridged. I call it scalloped. Edge. Yeah, yeah, it's like the scalloped edge. It's just like a, a Batwing-looking cape, except that it's yellow because it's Robin. So his, his costume is very much an amalgamation of Robin, Batman, and what we would eventually come to know as Nightwing. It, it, it's kind of a blending of those three styles. And I think... But the the earliest memory I can I have of actually seeking out something specifically because it was the Justice Society of America was this issue because when I was a kid I was I was blessed with 
you know, the the ability to, you know, I basically had a comic shop in my town before there were such things as comic shops. There was an old man that lived not far from where I lived, and his name was Walt Hadley. And he was, at that time, was probably in his mid to late 50s, maybe even early 60s. He was an old guy. And he had collected comics his entire life and had a whole den full of comic books. And, you know, I was just a young kid. I was maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And I got introduced to this guy, and I would go and and buy comics from him, you know, things that he would have duplicates of or whatever that he would sell. And I remember he had, you know, this stack, and on the top of one of the stacks was All-Star Comics number 58 with this awesome cover on it. And one of the characters on that cover is the Earth 2 Robin. And I didn't really realize it until I, I got to, you know, doing the research to do this episode. But this cover always, that image of Robin on this cover for somehow always reminded me of an image that's been in my mind forever of Robin running out onto a football field from one of the very first comics I can ever remember reading as a child. And I did some homework, and the issue I'm thinking of was Detective Comics number 445. This is the earliest comic book I can actually remember. And it had a story, and one of the, you know, it was one of those big, thick issues of Detective where there was more than one story. So it was like a Batman story and, you know, several like Golden Age and Silver Age reprint stories and things like that. Well, there was one story and a really short story called The Touchdown Trap, and it was a Robin solo story. It was Robin gone off to college, and it was drawn by Mike Grell. And that image of Mike Grell's Robin has always been just solid in my mind it was just he he drew a very dynamic robin i mean if you if you're familiar with mike grell's superboy it was yeah. the same type of style well lo and behold as i was doing the research this mike grell drew this cover for all-star comics 58 with robin on it so you know i think it's all yes, he did oh my so i think it all comes back full circle that that's why this this image was always so dynamic to me is it, it lent into you know that that first impression type of thing because you know my my batman is also the jim apparel batman and that's the batman that appears in detective 445 so i think it's one of those things that the you know the earliest things you're exposed to in comics are, are the things that you know you really hold the dearest and that issue, just so many elements of that issue of Detective, you know, solidified things that, that I would like and things that I would seek out in comics, one of them being Mike Grell and especially Mike Grell doing Robin. So so this is really the first issue I can really remember of, of actively seeking out of, uh, of the Justice Society. And, of course, it turns out to be the first issue of their revival. So for that reason and, and other reasons, you know, that's why you and I decided to start, you know, our Tales of the Justice Society of America with this issue. This was the issue where basically the, the Justice Society came back. And uh, at this point, do we want to basically give a little rundown, a little history of the JSA prior to this point? Well, right before we get into that, let's uh, let's kind of talk about, you know, one of the reasons why we... we decided to go with all-star comics uh as opposed to tracking down 
like starting at you know Flash number one twenty three, which would be the um, the modern first appearance of Earth two and all that, is uh, a, a, well for me a lack of availability on a lot of those stories, but mainly because I think All Star was the first like proper Earth two series, and I am a huge fan uh, of Earth two as a concept. Yes. Uh, I you know I, I it's it's reverse nostalgia for me because I was never around when it was around basically but I look back at that era and I'm like that is so cool that they had an entire another reality. That, yeah, it was very cool. <laughs> that you had a Superman and you had a Batman and they were pretty much, you know, except for time periods, they were similar characters. I mean, they looked the same. They had the same secret identities. You know, Bruce Wayne was still Batman. Clark Kent was still Superman. You still had Lois Lane. You still had the Joker and all that. But then you got to guys like Green Lantern Mm -hmm. and The Flash and Adam and all of that. And it's just like a totally different character with, in some cases, a much better costume. Um, Because (laughs) I'm, I'm of the opinion that the Golden Age... Jay Garrick Flash costume without the lightning bolts up the pants. Uh, need to throw that in there because I hate the lightning bolts up the pants. But <laughs> I think that's my favorite uh, Flash costume. And while Alan Scott's Green Lantern costume isn't my favorite, it's still a lot snazzier than Hal Jordan's. You know, which which was you know pretty basic as a superhero costume. You know, green got some black here. White gloves, yay! No, this dude had a purple cape with a green lining and a, and a green mask and a red. Sh- I, I'm I'm assuming at this point that Alan Scott was just completely colorblind. Yeah, I was just going to say I've I've long waited for the story where it was going to be revealed that Alan Scott was absolutely colorblind because yeah, that's I like the outfit. I really, from a nostalgic point of view, I really like it. But yeah, there's no fashion sense involved whatsoever with that particular outfit. But you also had guys like Dr. Fate, who didn't have an Earth-1 counterpart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had Wildcat, who kind of had an Earth-1 counterpart. But he only appeared in Brave and the Bold. Right. Because all those Batman-Wildcat team-ups occurred on Earth-1. It was very strange. And as I got deeper into Earth-2 with All-Star Squadron, it was like, you know what? Anything can happen here. Yes. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, Superman and Lois Lane got married on Earth 2 uh, and briefly had a uh, feature in Superman family called Mr. and Mrs. Superman. Right. Which I managed to get a hold of a few. And they're. It's kind of like I Love Lucy meets Superman. It really is. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, absolutely it's, it is. It's it's very domestic. It's kind of cute. I was expecting something a little more, but you know that's just because I was reading it in the year two thousand five. So it's 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 not fair of me to look at a comic thirty years old and go, "You should you should be to my sensibilities and my taste, you jackass." Well, one that but, that uh, probably is a little bit more like that if you haven't read it would be uh, DC Comics presents Annual Number One, which is the team up between oh, Super the Earth One Superman right. and the uh, Earth Two Superman, and the relationship in that. Um, there's a there's a brief exchange between the Earth Two Superman and his wife that I always really liked. You know where where he acknowledges that he's getting older and that his powers are starting to wane and that and that you know retirement might be in his future and that sort of thing really lent into like you say you know the the reasons I loved Earth Two as well was that 
it lends a little more of a of a of a realism to it in the sense that this was a, a universe that was aging and changing where because it was an alternate reality you actually felt like things could really happen. You you could imagine a story where Superman would eventually retire or have kids that would take his place or die. You know, which with certain characters and you know, you and I have both agreed that we're gonna try not to spoil ahead in in continuity. We're really gonna try to live in the moment and, and not give things away. But just as sort of a tease, you know, I will I will say that you know these sort of feelings and impressions that I had from from the as young as I was getting into this, those feelings proved very valid because there were characters that would eventually die that you would can't imagine in regular you know continuity today that they would actually kill these characters off and leave them dead you know not bring them back six months later in some you know spectacular crossover event or something you know characters that basically reached the end of their life and and that was it they were gone and i like that it it really lent into a feeling of this was a, a universe that was not static like we have in today's marvel and dc where there's really only the semblance of change this was a universe that really did change where characters came and went and new characters came along that could be the sons and daughters of the originals and things like that and that really lent into my enjoyment and my love for this universe well that's the thing is is you know you you know you mentioned the earth 2 robin who is one of my favorite earth 2 characters as well uh you actually mentioned that costume it actually was worn by the earth one dick grayson twice oh really there was a Justice League, Justice Society crossover uh, in, I have it here, Justice League 91 and 92, Robin's costume got shredded. Uh, the Earth-1 Robin's costume got shredded, and Dick Grayson of Earth-2 takes him back to his Batcave, or wherever the heck Robin hung out, and he says, here... Uh, this really great costume designer named Neil Adams whipped this out for me, and I was going <laughs> to wear it one day. So I get the feeling that that Earth uh, 2 Robin costume that we both like so much was designed by Neil Adams, which is kind of cool. That is very um, cool. But um, and in Batman 300, yes, it was a future story, and he's right there on the cover in that really and, – and, and you're right. It's such a great costume. It is so neat. He's got pants for the first time. <laughs> which I always kind of liked. And, you know, certain artists like George Perez can draw the heck out of that costume mm-hmm. by every appearance if it's in there. But you're never going to see the Earth One Dick Grayson at age, I guess he'd be, what, like almost 50? Yeah, I was just going to say, I always imagine story. he was in his 40s in, in something like this, which is funny because, you know, the... The older characters like uh, like Flash and Green Lantern keep referring to him and the other new characters that we meet as youngsters. But really, Robin couldn't really be their contemporary. I'm thinking he had to be at least a good 20 years older than Power Girl or the other uh, newer characters that would eventually get introduced. Uh, let's see. He first appeared in 40, and I'm guessing he was around 8, 9 years old at that point. Right. And this is 75, so yeah, he's like in his early 40s at this point, mm-hmm. if that. I wish people would call me youngster all the time. It'd make me feel yeah. great. 
I'm only eight years younger than you. I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start hanging remember. out with some some 80-ish superheroes or something that call me <laughs> youngster all the time just to boost my self-confidence. I'd hang out with Jay Garrick. Um <laughs> And but you had Doctor Midnight. You had you had a, a a much better. I never liked the Space Hawkman. I've I've never been a fan of that iteration of Hawkman. I've I've always preferred the uh, well not not in this issue because I hate that costume. I hate that mask. God, I hate that mask. <laughs> um, but it was just it was you know when I discovered it at the age of eighteen it was a new world to conquer basically right one another reason why I got into it but two it's just like man it's it's this is kind of cooler than Earth One because Earth One you know you say modern day isn't going to change anything Earth One was even worse right they weren't going to change anything yeah very very <laughs> static yeah um, you know it, it's not that things didn't happen because you know they killed Iris West in the late 70s, and that was a really good storyline. Probably one of my favorite Carrie Bates Flash stories. And, and you know, they did things like that, but really and truly until Crisis, you know, Superman and Lois Lane were never going to get married. Exactly, that, yeah, was exactly. that was the point away. I was going to make, is we were never going to see Superman looking in the mirror going, damn, where'd these gray hairs come from? You know, we were never going to see Batman marry anybody and have a child. But these sorts of things did happen, you know, with with you know a, a certain regularity in the Earth Two books, you know, where the characters acknowledged that they were getting older and they acknowledged their own mortality and they discovered that you know they had illegitimate children or whatever, you know, and 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 those type of things to me they they add something to the to the flavor of of the book, you know, it adds a real sense of of realism to it and drama too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you can emotionally invest more in that type of story because when you're reading a a story like from this time period of Superman, which I have a lot of, a lot of that run, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, "Eh, you know, this is going to be like Star Trek Voyager at the end of it. You know, everyone's going to be back in their place and they're going off into their next adventure and, you know, Ooh, and and it's not that that type of story is bad. It's not that I'm not going to read it or enjoy it. But I'd rather have something that I can kind of sink my teeth into. And and one of the things they never really did with Earth 2, which would have been kind of cooler, was have some real divergences in history. It's something Roy Thomas had wanted to do, uh, but he never got around to do it when he was eventually... Because let's face it, by All-Star Squadron number 1 till about 1989... The Golden Age characters belong of DC Comics belong to Roy Thomas. Right, absolutely. Uh, it was either in his contract or it was like a handshake deal where he had first refusal rights to all of these characters. And uh, when we get to those, I mean, we might as well change this to the Roy Thomas Appreciation Podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many of those, even those secret origin stories we want to talk about are written by Roy Thomas. Well, I mean, those miniseries. I mean, any any fan of Earth Two, you know, not long after, you know, the beginning of of this series that we're going to start with, you know, not long after this, it, it really becomes where, you know, you you owe everything of your appreciation of Earth Two to him. I mean, it was really his. Even when he wasn't writing the characters, just the fact that he kept the the fandom alive and he kept the dream 
alive of these characters one day returning to you know the the DC universe and, and contributing again, you know that sort of thing. You know he he really is owed so much by fandom, you know especially of these characters for you know that role that he played. You know both him and uh, and Jerry Bales. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. And actually, it's Roy Thomas's fault that. You know, I, I always say that I'm a fan of DC's Golden Age characters, mm-hmm. and it's true. But that's kind of a misnomer because what it makes it sound like is that I've got I'm like sitting on huge piles of DC archive editions, right? Of Doctor Fate and Doctor Midnight and the Atom and all that, and and really, I haven't read a whole lot of that stuff. No, me either. I like the modern takes on it. Yeah, that's the thing that's funny when you know, when you and I first started talking and, and discovering our love for this that that I found. Really, really super coincidental was that while we both really love these characters, we both have the same take, which is we can't go back much further than All-Star Comics 58 before we start to go, because really, that's another reason I wanted to start with this particular issue, because this is, you know, from this point forward... It's basically the the modern interpretation of those characters. So I don't really even refer it to it so much as the Golden Age versions, so much as the Earth 2 versions, because that's how I saw it as a kid. You know, the Golden Age to me was this nebulous concept that I couldn't quite grasp of a long, long time ago, whereas Earth 2 was, was very real and very, you know, of the moment. You know, Earth 2 was actually happening as I was reading the comics. So, you know, I was able to wrap my young mind around that much more than this concept of, you know, these old comics that I was never going to be aware of. Cause you know, this was back in a, in a time where I couldn't conceive of, you know, all this stuff eventually being reprinted in these beautiful trade editions and hardcovers and, you know, being able to download it off the internet or whatever, you know, back in this, this was still the day where, you know, you had to rely on, you know, yard sales to find your back issues, you know, so, you know, I, I, was, a, I was about to say the trade paperback market uh, of this era of 1975 was Superman from the 30s to the 70s and Batman from the 30s right. to the 70s and Origins of Marvel Comics and Sons of and Bring on the Bad Guys and the Women of Marvel. They were... They were things you found at bookstores, and you were lucky enough to find them unless you sent off for them from the ads and the comics themselves. Exactly. And, you know, I love getting those books because now because they're, they're, they're never the same size, and the, the printing quality is spotty sometimes. But they're just so neat to, to, to think that there was a time now and I and I don't know what the age range of our, our of the listener base is going to be, but you know, for, for some of you, there was a time you couldn't walk into Barnes and Noble and get like a huge graphic novel section, right? You know, you, you know. I remember I felt lucky in night in the summer of 1989 that Walden Books had a couple trade paperbacks that were <laughs> Batman related. <laughs> yes, I, and, and we I, I, we also walked up hill both ways and six feet of snow to school and i know scott at least once killed a loose uh, bear with a loose leaf notebook there you go so. <laughs> you probably did walk to school in like 16 inches of snow. yeah i actually did <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when i was in elementary school we lived within walking distance of uh, of the school i was never allowed to walk to school 
No, I, I would I would say like walk to the bus stop in, yeah. in, that, much, in that much snow. But yeah, and actually walking to school would have would have I would have froze to death long before I actually made it there. But well, that that is another thing we have in common. We're both Northerners who have moved to the South. So <laughs> for whatever bizarre twisted reason of, and then we married into it, and now we're stuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not stuck. Stuck is the wrong. Part. <laughs> yeah, you need to edit that part. Out. <laughs> stuck. What do you mean stuck? I can unstick you, mister. <laughs> uh, my wife will just call me a damn Yankee like she usually does. Oh, you too? You get that too? Oh, yes. Very much so, sir. Um, but, you know, didn't want to go too much into a detailed history of the Justice Society. Uh, you know, I'm always reticent now to say JSA, because it annoyed me back in 99 when they brought the... Justice Society back as JSA to kind of brand it like JLA. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you guys hiding from the America? What's so wrong with that? Can't call it Justice Society of America? <laughs> Got a problem with your country? Very good. And especially these characters. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you fought in World War II, your team should have of America in <laughs> Well, I absolutely believe that. However, I, I will I will say up front right now, I'll probably fall into saying JSA or just Justice Society a lot, just because it's not quite the mouthful. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, just not that. Not the Tales of the Justice Society of America is kind of hard to say. So. <laughs> well, I can uh, I can give us a quick rundown on the history if you like. I've got okay, just go basically like the uh, the the what do they call that? The Cliff Notes history here of the JSA. Basically, this is all you need to know prior to this point about the JSA, that they first appeared in All-Star Comics number 3. It was an idea thought up by uh, Sheldon Mayer and Gardner Fox to basically showcase the lesser-known and titleless characters that existed at that time. You know, basically, this was the repository for guys that were not Superman and Batman for the most part. Um, and the title had a nice, healthy life. It, it lasted quite a while, you know, all through World War II and everything, and was eventually canceled with issue number 57. Now, some people say canceled. Some people say it mutated into another book because, uh, you know, Roy Thomas tells the famous story about, you know, how he finally subscribed to All-Star Comics, got one issue of it, which was number 57, with the uh, Justice Society in it, and then the very next issue and the rest of his subscription was filled with all these Western characters, which really you know pissed him off. Because all, you know the next issue of All Star was All Star Western number fifty eight. So when they eventually brought the title back, you know they just picked it up with number fifty eight again, calling it All Star Comics. So the Western thing is kind of out there in some weird alternate <laughs> history or something it's it's kind of been displaced now from from this title um you know then you fast forward a number of years this was 1961 or 62 i believe when the barry allen flash uh i think he like vibrates himself or something he actually winds up in a what he thinks at first is an alternate dimension which eventually would become would we would come to know as Earth 2, he met up with the original Flash, the Jay Garrick Flash. Um, this was in- He had read about in comic books, by the way. Right, exactly. I had a note on that myself. Yeah, that, that- oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 not, not at all. Um, that was in uh, Flash number 123. So that kind of, basically that issue created the DC multiverse, you know, the, the, the overall 
you know, more than one Earth being out there. A um, couple issues later, in 129, um, that was when uh, we got the first mention of the JSA altogether in the Silver Age. And there was even a reference back to uh, their last adventure in All-Star 57. Um, and then, you know, a few issues after that, in Flash 137, the, the whole J- JSA actually reformed and appeared. And then... It was time for you know the full blown return basically of the Justice Society, and that took place in Justice League of America, um, numbers twenty one and twenty two, and it's a story called Crisis on Earth Two, and that's where the the two teams actually, you know, fully appeared and and met each other and battled. Uh, I think it was like a combination of of like a team of villains from both of their worlds or something yes. to that effect. Um. A few issues later in uh, Justice League of America 29, we got uh, Crisis on Earth 3, which introduced, like, the evil um, Earth. You know, Earth 3 was basically a twisted version of Earth 1 where where the Justice League was a bunch of bad guys. So, you know, further cementing the idea that there was more than one Earth. You know, there was, there was at this point, there were a multitude of Earths out there. Um, and then eventually the Justice League of America and Justice Society of America meetups became... Um, just an annual event. It was like an annual summer tradition where the two teams would meet up, usually for an issue or two. And that happened every year right up until the Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985. It just became you know one of those things that would happen year after year, and you could look forward to it. Some of the, the things that came out of the appearances of the Justice Society during that time was uh, one of the more interesting things I thought was that Black Canary actually defected from one Earth to another. She went from uh, living on Earth 2 to living on Earth 1. She actually joined the Justice League. So for the longest time, you know, the Black Canary that we got in the comics in Justice League had originated on a completely different Earth. I always thought that was a really cool idea. Um, We also got the return of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, um, one of which the, we'll, we'll see in this very issue, uh, a member of which we'll see in this issue, and the creation of the Freedom Fighters, you know, with Uncle Sam and the Human Bomb and all those guys. And you know, for a while, while these these crossovers and these different stories were going on, we also saw individual members of the the JSA pop up in other titles all over the place for several years. You know, we saw the Atom. Um, in the Atom book, you know, the Golden Age Atom teaming up with, like, the current Atom. Uh, same thing with Green Lantern. You know, the Alan Scott Golden Age version would team up with our current version. Brave and the Bold had a number of appearances of, you know, some of these JSA members. Some of them would actually team up with each other. Like, there was uh, was Black Canary and Starman together for yep. a couple of issues. And the Spectre even got a series again. You know, and he was... Dr. Fate and Hour Man. Oh, that's right. Yep, that's right. And that happened in... Uh, that was in Brave and the Bold too, wasn't it? That was Showcase. Oh, Showcase, uh, yeah. Showcase. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that pretty much brings us up to speed. This all eventually led to the proper return of the Justice Society of America in All-Star Comics number 58. Uh, just one quick note. Uh, the, the JSA holds another distinction outside of being the first superhero team ever. It was also the first cross-company crossover. That's right. Because uh, DC or National, I get so confused on the timeline of when they call themselves DC Comics, and then they call themselves National, and then they call themselves DC again. 
and All American Comics were technically two different companies. Right. Uh, and one episode, uh, in one episode in the future, I'll do the research on it because at one point they actually had to change who the membership of the JSA were because All American and DC split. That's right. I'd and, forgotten about that. Yeah. And there's like this weird thing where Green Lantern is flying around holding a cosmic rod and, and stuff like that. So the artwork didn't quite get changed as much as they wanted it yeah. to. Um, if you read, that, uh, if you read back issue magazine and their sister magazine, what is it? Alter ego. Yes. They just had this thing where, unfortunately, I got to the point where I was like, okay, guys, this gag has gone on way, way too long. But they had this kind of – it was an interesting concept where they had a fake alternate history that they created, which was basically what if those two companies had remained split and never rejoined each other or something to that effect. And they came up with this whole history going right from the 40s right up to present day of how all american would have evolved over the course of, you know, those those 50 60 years. And it was fa- fairly interesting. I just felt like they drug it out a little bit too far, but the beginnings of that article really go heavily into both companies and how they existed as as two entities that were sort of the same company but not really the same company. It was very interesting reading because it was very it's very confusing. Yeah. No, I, I read about it in uh, the first volume of the All-Star Companion oh, okay. series that came out, which uh, you'll probably have to go to Amazon for it at this point, or, or another bookseller like that. Uh, but uh, you should be able to track, track those down, and you can go to just about any of the online sources. Uh, DC has, has been very good about reprinting a lot of the material we've been talking about. Uh, there are four volumes of Crisis on Multiple Earths right now, mm-hmm. which is going in order from the beginning all of the JLA-JSA crossovers in the pages of uh, Justice League of America. Volume 5 has been long delayed, but is finally coming out in April of 2010. And that's when you get into the George Perez era. I think some uh, of that stuff is also reprinting some of these uh, one-off appearances that we were talking about as well. If, yeah, they have the Crisis on Multiple Earths, the team-ups. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Volumes of that's uh, the right. first one has a beautiful Jerry Ordway cover of uh, of the various. That one collects the first Green Lantern meeting, uh, the early Flash meetings, the Hour Man, Doctor Fate stories, and the Starman. Um, Black Canary Stories, the second volume, which I haven't gotten yet, has like the Atom and uh, a couple other notable meetings at the time. So you should be able to track those down pretty easy. They're clunky to read because it was just a different time period in comic book writing. Uh, Very text-heavy, especially at the beginning of the Justice League crossovers. Not much characterization to be had. Uh, And you have them complaining that there's no crime, which I found kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's a really bad problem to have there, Green Lantern. Sorry that you're bored. You want me to go rob a bank just so you have something to do? I'm not here to amuse you, sir. <laughs> um, before we get into kind of the rundown of how this show is going to work, uh, I just wanted to add a few more little fun facts about the uh, the history of the Justice Society. Um, 
Scott mentioned that they first appeared in All-Star Comics number three. Uh, that's a kind of a funny little story because basically, even when they were the full-on Justice Society of America, All-Star Comics was really an anthology title with a wraparound story. Because every story would begin with them meeting at the beginning, they would all go off on their separate adventures, and then meet at the end. Right. And it just basically served as an avenue to get a Spectre story out there, or a Dr. Midnight story. It's not saying that these stories were bad. And this is when comics were like a fat 64-page book Mm -hmm. that took you hours to read, unlike today, when it takes me a good... Wow, in the time of saying a good, I've finished off five comics, so there you go. But um, <laughs> they, they met up in that first issue and had dinner, basically, and told stories, and then were called off on a case by the head of the FBI. Uh, and it, All-Star number six, Jay Garrick left the team with the honor of being uh, chairman for life. He would come back, but Scott also mentioned that a lot of these characters didn't have their own titles, so basically... When All Flash started in 1941, he was kind of shunted to the side so that they could bring in another character that didn't have their own title. The same thing happened to Green Lantern. Uh, in issue 7, Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt, my least favorite Justice Society member ever. Oh, I'm not a big fan of the Thunderbolt. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, I'm not either, but there's members I like less. So. <laughs> in issue 8, Starman joined the team. And that was a big issue because Superman and Batman made their first uh, appearances as honorary members of the Justice Society. Uh, uh, And also, All-Star number 8 was the first appearance of Wonder Woman. Uh, Not Sensation number 1, like a lot of people think. Uh, She became their secretary in issue 11. (laughs) Damn you, the 1940s. Wildcat joined the team in issue 24. Uh, in issue 40 of All-Star, Black Canary became a member, replacing Wonder Woman, I believe. That really is funny, though, when you think about it. I mean, you know, technically speaking, she could whoop all their asses combined. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> she, they, they say, well, well, we'll let you hang around. You can be the secretary. It's, 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 it's hysterical. You know, the, the way that sometimes these teams would, would treat each other, or the different heroes would treat each other, because I was thinking the same thing when you were talking about when Superman and Batman showed up. Anytime Superman or Batman would show up in this title, it was always very brief. And even as a kid, I always had the feeling that they were, they were somewhat patronizing toward them. Like, yeah, that's great. You guys have your little clubhouse over here. We're over here fighting the real villains, you know? <laughs> You guys are fighting Vandal Savage and, and Degaton. I got Lex freaking Luther. <laughs> I'll be over here saving the world while you kids play at your clubhouse. Well, the the charm of the of the All Star stories, uh, which I'm hoping to pick up in archive form at some point, just to read them and know what happened. But from everything I read about them, is that they were very human interest stories a lot of the time, mm-hmm. where it was. You know, they were, you know, their tagline was for America and for democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time I hear the word democracy, now I have, you know, freaking Ewan McGregor in my head screaming at Hayden Christensen about, you know, the, how to be a real Jedi at the end of episode three for democracy. Um, <laughs> don't ask me why. That's just how I roll. Um, but, um, but they, you know, it was like, hey, some some old man has a problem. We're going to team up to help them. And you know what? You can make f- people can make fun of that. 
you know, and say, oh, they weren't fighting. But you know what? That's what justice is. Right. And you know what? That's what this team represents. It's justice. It's a society of people coming together. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, league sounds like a baseball team. I fucking hate baseball. So there you go. Um, first F-bomb of the show. Um, How did you not... beat me to the first F-bomb of the show? <laughs> I don't know, man. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not a fan of baseball. I prefer a society. It's like, it sounds stuffy, like they're hanging out and, and, and having cognac. Yeah, they're, they're helping people, and that's what the whole thing is about. So. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's, when I hear the word society, I think of like a bunch of old, like... Uh, like a bunch of old spinsters hanging out in, in like a like a room in their rockers, like knitting something. But still, yeah, it, it is funny. I mean, neither neither title, when you really think about it, is all that great. You know, Justice Society or Justice League. But you know, we've gotten so used to them over the years. But uh, yeah, I still I prefer Justice Society. There's something about that. I think. I don't know, it's, it has a, a nobler sound somehow. Justice League, I, actually I think that plays in very well to something I, I had meant to bring up before was, uh, you know, this is kind of my closing thoughts on this. Just in the sense of, you know, years later when, when Jeff Johns would get a hold of the JSA and have such great success with that title, one of the things that I thought he did so well and really showed me that he understood the dynamic with these characters was that it was very much a family book. And by yes. by that, what I mean is I'm not talking like an all-ages like kitty book. What I'm talking about is that the team felt like they loved each other and that they were all one big family unit and they were looking out for each other and, and they functioned that way like, uh, I don't know, like the Waltons or something of superheroes. Whereas the Justice League... Actually, when you think about it, that name League and the baseball analogy is very, very fitting because, you know, I've heard this said a million times that a lot of people can't see the League hanging out once the job is done. I mean, once they defeat Starro, I don't see Superman and Batman and Flash and Green Lantern and all these guys hanging out down at the pub having a beer afterwards. I just don't. I see Superman being like, well, got to go. And flying back to wherever he, you know, whatever he was doing, and Batman's like, well, you know, don't call me, I'll call you. That whole thing, especially when the Justice League was made up of, like, when the Flash was Wally and when Green Lantern was Kyle, you know, because they were kids. So I I never really believed that these were characters that, that were friends. You know what I mean? They might hang out on the same team. They might battle all the same world devastating menaces together but at the end of the day they were just a team of, of people all hired to do a job basically they they were not a family unit which is what eventually if not right from this issue eventually we would get that feel that this was a family unit that while they may not be related they all loved each other and and dealt with each other very much in a, in a family sense and that's really, I think, what what I came to really enjoy the most about this was, you know, like I said before, you you watch them age and mature and have kids and all that, but from not just the outsider view of a, of a bunch of randomly thrown together people, but of a family that you were watching grow like that. And I, th- I think that's the charm of it. Well, yeah, all the friendships in the league were private. You know, it was Barry and Hal and Barry... 
uh, or it's not Barry and Ollie, uh, Hal and Ollie, and Superman and Batman. And Wonder Woman never really hung out with any anybody. You got the sense that the only time these people spent any quality time together were either at league functions, because sometimes that's all the Justice Society meetings were supposed to be, was just them getting together to have, you know, like a cup of coffee and, and a sit-down meal. But basically, you know, if you just happened to be on the satellite when Barry Allen was on monitor duty, you could sit there and chit-chat with him. Right. You know, whereas with the Justice Society, especially during John's run, it was very much about the legacy. So we have a legacy. We take care of our own. But you got the sense that Jay Garrick would sit with somebody and just talk to them about different things, you know, a younger hero about, you know, well, you know, this is how we did it and this is how it should be done. Right. And, you know, especially, you know, it was Jay Allen and Ted Grant. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the three old the three old guys on the team, but they're the statesmen. Right. They're the ones everyone looks to. And they kind of started that in the issue we're going to talk about in, I guess, we could call our first proper episode, um, where we get into the issues themselves, is that, you know, All-Star Comics in 1975 started out as the older heroes teaming up with the younger heroes. Right. And and that and that's it and 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 that's a great way to have a series, so I totally agree with you on that. It, that that's one of the things where they have kind of a leg up on uh, on, on the Justice League, or I guess you can't say the Titans because the Titans were very much a family too. But <laughs> I say the League is the only one that's kind of standoffish when you really think about it. To a as far as, you know, to a certain degree, I would say the Avengers had that problem. Maybe not as badly as the Justice League did, but I think the okay. Avengers also had that problem to a certain degree too. That they never felt to me like a like a true family unit. You know, I, I equate really uh, in a lot of ways. I equate the feel of the Justice Society to like classic Star Trek. That you know, you you got used to seeing all these characters together, and you really got the feeling that yeah, they worked together but that they really cared for one another and that off duty they'd go have a beer together and that they were they were friends and family whereas you know again i i just never got that impression from the justice league and if i were to read a story of the justice league like that i don't think i'd buy it i don't think i'd believe it i'm not saying that that superman doesn't like these people i'm just saying i can't see superman hanging out with them you know he's too busy he's got other shit going on he's superman <laughs> Don't bother me. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. Though I can totally see Batman and Superman playing three-dimensional chess. <laughs> and, uh, Superman, and Superman saying something and Batman going, oh, that's one of your Earth emotions. <laughs> I can totally, totally see that happen. <laughs> well, Let's do we... pretend this never happened. <laughs> do we want to peek behind the curtain on why we're holding off on the on the review for next issue or do we how do we want to wrap this one up oh no well we'll oh, no, peek behind the curtains great i like I, I like breaking the fourth wall um so we're gonna we're gonna kind of wrap it up here for this first episode uh at first we were going to talk about the first issue of all-star comics but we're getting we're getting to almost the hour mark and uh i i i I don't know if you guys want to hear us talking that much longer. So before you throw your iPod or uh, <laughs> zoom on the ground in frustration and run it over with your car. But um, basically this is how the show is going to work. We're going to take uh, every week. You're going to come back. 
to Tales of the Justice Society of America. I feel like I should have some kind of sweeping, like cheesy '80s music playing right now. <laughs> you know, like, like like something you would hear on like an '80s infomercial. But um, no, every every week we're going to do a review of a book uh, of a Justice Society related comic, starting with All Star Comics number fifty-eight. And when we get uh, periodically in there, we're going to be mentioning the JLA JSA crossovers. But some of those aren't as good <laughs> as the books we're reading right now. And we're trying to keep this show mostly positive. Right. I think that's the only thing, though, that we have agreed to skip is those. Yes. Um, everything else related to the Justice Society as a team now. I'm not talking necessarily individual uh, appearances, although we will cover some of those. But yes. for the most part, Justice Society appearances chronologically from All-Star Comics number 58 forward, we'll be covering those with the exception of, of the Justice League uh, crossovers that took place in Justice League for a couple of reasons. You know, like Mike said, for one thing, a lot of them just are, are kind of clunkers. They're not that great. But also, you know, if you're itching to, to hear those reviewed, check out uh, Tom Cater's... Uh, he used to do a show called uh, Tom versus the Justice League absolutely hysterical podcast and he covered that stuff over there probably better than i could so you know be be you know uh be sure to go check that out over there if you want to hear uh, the take you know from the justice society's angle on those stories as much as respect as i have for dick dylan i don't care for his yeah my, i've never been a dick <laughs> dylan fan now we're gonna get legions of dick dylan fans going hey you <laughs> sons of bitches if there are a hundred Dick Dillon fans out there, I'd be surprised. Ooh, so, <laughs> that was harsh. Yeah, I, I, I could have said it a lot meaner, but um, yeah, I respected the man. Uh, you know, he had a, so had a hell of a work ethic and all that, but uh, yeah, just never, never did it for me somehow. Dick Dillon, he's he's like another Don Heck to me. But um, but in between some of these All Star issues, we're going to be covering like the DC Secret Origin special issue, where it has the origin of the Justice Society. Yeah. Uh, around the same time, there's also another DC Secret Origins type title because DC had a thousand of those in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 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 a pain in the ass to file. Yes, is all I'm saying. Uh, but they have like an origin of a of a of a character called the Huntress. And then once we get through the Adventure Comics, uh, end uh, that basically Adventure Comics becomes de facto All Star Comics. For us, at least, in the purposes of this show. Mm -hmm. When that run ends, we're going to probably jump right into All-Star Squadron. Yeah. And go from there and do an an issue, an episode. And we have plans for beyond that, uh, plans that involve Infinity Incorporated, Mm -hmm. uh, plans that involve Secret Origins from 1986. Uh, And if we we get there, we're, 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 we're thinking long term here, people. Uh, damage the ray, black condor. Uh, just basically, if there isn't a Justice Society title happening at that time, uh, I don't know if we're going to do issue by issue of some of these, where it might be just better just to talk about storylines. I will just lie and make stuff up by that point. Oh yeah, I mean we're we're going to be what eighty. No, we're just going to start covering All-Star Comics again, because we forgot we did it before. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll just but, um, we'll be so old and doddering by that point that you know we'll just wander onto weird tangents and make stuff up, and they won't be able to tell if we've just 
gone senile or whatever. So there you go. My class to be bag changed. Oh. In addition to all of that, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be doing character profiles of specific members of the Justice Society as up to the point where we talk about them. So this is a thing where we can come back to a character later, like Power Girl, which we're going to be doing next episode. We really can't say too much about her, because All-Star Comics number 58 was her first appearance. But... You know, that, that, that's not to say that somewhere down the line, after her showcase origin story, uh, which was 97 to 99, that we won't do a, a revive, you know, like Who's Who did. Right. With their updates, you know, it's like, you know, uh, unfortunately we can't do a little update in the corner because it's audio. We but, can always uh, say update. You can say, <laughs> yeah, this true. is a character profile update. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the ads in these comics, mm. because especially mm. in these early issues, this was before comic book advertising tanked and started doing nothing but record collections and crap like that, when you actually had good stuff. In-house ads. In, in the comics, and the in-house ads, and and especially the hostess ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of hostess ads to talk about, especially in this first issue, where it has like the the worst stereotypical... Uh, Italian-American stereotype ever. Oh my god, this thing offends me, and I'm Irish. But uh, <laughs> And you're going to hear a lot of us yakking. Mm-hmm. Because we're good at that. But on that subject, though, um, we are going to try... This is our first episode. This is, you know, fresh out of the gate, first time around for us. So, uh, you know, there's kinks to be worked out and that sort of thing. We are going to... Uh, to try to stay within our whatever our time limit time frame is for the most part, and we'll try to be much more uh, concise and, and that sort of thing in future. So, you know, consider this the 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 rough first draft, so to speak, which is why we're releasing it this way without the uh, the review feature. But uh, next episode, you will be getting the full review. And you can always uh, drop us a line before that at Tales of the JSA, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, we may, uh, we'll hopefully uh, be writing back as soon as possible. Um, are we going to read those on the air? I would love to read those on the air. I had made the commitment on, um, on another show that I do you know, a long time ago that uh, if I ever got into podcasting you know, and, and we ever got feedback you know, in the form of, of emails – that I would read them on the show. And I am still dedicated to that proposition. Although, you know, <laughs> who knows? One day that promise might come back to bite me in the ass, you know, if, if you know, we ever get huge and we're getting, you know, 50,000 emails a week. But at this point, yeah, you know, we, I, I, I feel like we, we have the time and, and wiggle. We can have a letters page. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> at the end, because that's, that's where the letters page belongs. Oh, that's, Bring it back, that's, DC. That's all I'm saying. That's true. I'm saying. Well, what was the letter page? Did they have a... What was the name of the letter page in All-Star? All-Star Comments. There you go. Comments. That's right. That's what it was. So, yeah. Well, we will have an All-Star Comments page just for you. So, write in with your thoughts, your feedback. Let us know. You know, be nice, but, you know, be firm. Whatever. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, anything else, Chris? Oh. Scott, whoever you are. <laughs> I can't believe I just called you by your co-host name. Ah, no, that's okay. That's all right, man. Calling your, let's call it, that's like calling your wife by your ex-girlfriend's name. <laughs> <laughs> that never goes well. Or your girlfriend by your wife's name. They don't like that either. <laughs> 
You have been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey. You can email the show at talesofthejsa, that's all one word, at gmail.com. You can also find the home of the show at two places. One is fortressofbailitude.com. And you may also find the show at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he would like you to listen to. One is Two True Freaks, which you can find at that same web address that he co-hosts with his childhood friend and former bodyguard for Farrah Fawcett, Chris Honeywell. He is also the host of Back to the Bins, which has a rotating co-host chair made up of podcasting and comic book fandom's finest. You can also find that at the twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Michael also has two other shows that he produces. The first is Views from the Long Box, which can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox, all one word, dot com. And also From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which he co-hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. You can find that at both www.supermanhomepage.com and fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week for more tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you.